0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Season 1 of the TV version of Building the Future is now streaming online at buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Mike Lingo. He's an entrepreneur, mentor, and advisor to startups. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on the show. I yeah, it. yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Like um, we we met in uh, Florida at the startup expo, and you know we we hung out a bunch. And I thought, wow, this guy's done a lot of stuff. You were on a couple panels and and speaking at the conference. And I thought, well, let's let's have this guy on the show. You've, you've done um, a lot of really cool things, um, you sold the company, um, you're kind of mentoring, but maybe kind of before we get into exactly what you're doing and your kind of past, let's get to know you a little bit better and maybe start off with where you grew up.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, and I just want to take a second to give a shout out to the Startup Expo
0: conference, sure,
1: uh, which. Bob Fitz did an amazing job of assembling some terrific people.
0: I agree, 100% uh, agree. And I
1: had, I had a bunch of great conversations, made a bunch of really good contacts, people I'm still uh, talking to, some of whom I'm working with, uh, and it was just a nice little conference in Fort Lauderdale, which I wasn't expecting. Sure.
0: The one thing uh, that I found, yeah. and I'm curious to know if you found the same thing, is I've never been to a conference where pretty much everybody was so open to network
1: yeah that's it it really was like it wasn't a giant conference it was yeah. kind
0: of small,
1: but it was really like upon the side of some terrific people all of whom <clears throat> all of whom wanted to talk
0: sure yeah it was like almost like if you just made eye contact with somebody, like one of you was introducing yourself to somebody right and that's awesome I, right. and I love that
1: and everyone was doing something cool and was interesting to talk to like it wasn't just it wasn't just idle conversation. Like totally. It was- it was informative and useful. And again, like I found a bunch of people who I'm still talking to and/or working
0: with. Totally. Well, and you and I are the perfect example of that, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So no, very so, cool. Uh, I will. I will plan to be back at the Startup Expo in Fort Lauderdale next year. Yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> I can make it down as well because, like, like we just said, it's it was it was awesome, and I had a great time. Yeah. Me too. Cool. So uh, so yeah, so, maybe we'll start off with kind of where you grew up. Yeah, sure.
1: Um, so I did uh, most of my growing up in New Jersey. Uh, okay. I was actually born in Venezuela because my parents went in the peace corps.
0: Really interesting. Uh, but
1: yeah, we only lived there until I was one, and I haven't been back. And okay. it seems like not the best time to go back to Venezuela right now. Sure. Uh, although my dad has a fifty-year uh, reunion in Chile coming up in the fall, so I think you know maybe I might go do that.
0: That'd be uh, awesome. Seems
1: like a Like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Sure. Uh, But both my parents were actually from Ohio. Um, So we moved to Ohio and they both went to graduate school at Ohio State. And then uh, when I was like six or seven maybe, we moved to New Jersey. Okay. My dad got a job teaching at Rutgers. Um, Oh, very cool. So most of my real formative years were were in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, And I actually became obsessed with architecture. Uh, I went to a high school that had an architecture program. Uh, So I took three years of architecture classes, worked for a couple architects, uh, including Michael Graves,
0: who was based in in Princeton. Wow, very cool. And
1: thought I wanted to be an architect and uh, went to college and then worked for – I went to college in Philadelphia at 10 and then worked for an architect – Stuck around in Philadelphia, worked for an architect for a year, year and a half. After that, and kind of fell out of love with architecture. Um, okay, why? Unfortunately, because uh, I wasn't getting to design anything. Okay, and I wasn't going to get to design anything for a really long time. I got you. And and I wasn't making any money. So it's sort of a bad combination of like it was going to take a really long time of not making much money in order to get to do anything cool. Sure. Uh, and I actually remember, I think a raise from like $10 an hour to $14 an hour or something. And uh, the architect I was working for looked at me and said for $14 an hour, he could get someone who was a licensed architect with 10 years of experience. And I looked at him and said, I definitely quit then. I got you. Because uh, it was just like the road was just too long. And, and I don't know, I would sort of fallen out of love with it. But what what did happen... Uh, is I had gotten into um, sort of the 3D modeling and rendering stuff. That was right when, like, um, Jurassic Park came out, the original right. Jurassic Park, and, like, Terminator 2, and special effects were really, you know, it was it was an amazing thing happening with computers. And I'd gotten into a little bit of that through the architecture. So okay. building 3D models of, of things that didn't exist and then making them look as photorealistic as possible.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and I had a buddy named Mitch in uh, Philadelphia, and uh, he turned me on to multimedia programming. So there was an environment called Director.
0: Yeah, I remember those it was made days. By a company
1: called Yeah, it was made by a company called Macromedia. Yep. It got bought by Adobe eventually, uh, and that was sort of the precursor to Flash. Totally. And he turned me on to Director, and I had grown up, I should, I should say, I had grown up uh, with my dad, loved computers and was a professor of statistics and psychology. So he was always running tests on computers and we had we had computers even for the Apple. We had a uh, TRS eighty.
0: That's in awesome. Our house.
1: Yeah. So he so I had grown up, you know, he had taught me how to program. I had grown up around computers. Um, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, he he we used to go to campus at Ohio State and he was doing the big mainframes with punch cards.
0: Yeah, 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 totally. Right, Uh,
1: so my friend Mitch turned me on to director and I had a bunch of the graphic skills um, and then he turned me on to the programming stuff and it was like I could build software uh, and it actually scratched the architecture itch. There was the software piece which is the engineering, so you had to build a structure, you know, engineer something that was gonna work and then there was a design component. You had to create an environment that people could look at and understand how to use. Sure. And I could do it right then. You know, I didn't have to get the license and do the, you know, the apprenticeship. I could just do it. And if I made something cool, people would use it. Sure.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and I totally got I totally got hooked on that. Um, and then Mitch and I moved to New York and – uh Shared an
0: apartment for a year and a half. Okay. Um, what made you move to I New York, doc, just out of curiosity?
1: So, so we were in Philly, and we had a couple conversations where we were like, there is no, there is no way we are going to make it in the software business in
0: Philadelphia. Got you.
1: So we either need to move to New York or to San Francisco. Got you. And so what the plan we came up with was to move to New York for a couple years and then move to San Francisco uh, after two years in New York. Got you. And we took different paths in New York. He bought a Silicon Graphics workstation. Okay. And he was doing a bunch of rendering and custom programming, sort of high-end graphic stuff, and a little bit of uh, software development stuff. And he was really good. And uh, he was making, like, graphics for the Blue Man Group and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Oh, very Um, cool. And I got a job building... Uh, educational multimedia software for Columbia University. Oh,
0: very cool. They actually
1: have, Columbia has an earth science lab that's across the river from New York City across the GW Bridge in the Palisades. Okay. And they had a bunch of scientists collecting earth science data and they wanted to bring that into the classroom to educate students.
0: That's funny because that was one of my first jobs too, is building like educational really? DVDs at at the university oh, here. Yeah. And we had to like even film sometimes like conferences and then we use like director and flash to actually make the whole thing like interactive. And then there was like quizzes go, and stuff. So like I that's yep. hilarious that we basically had the similar start. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we were doing. So they had a grant, and uh, so they had some earth science data. So we started with seismology earthquakes.
0: Okay, very cool.
1: And then they had a panel of of high school teachers, so we could bounce ideas off of them, and then a bunch of student testers, so we could take stuff into classrooms and see if it was working. And my job was to kind of stitch it all together. Okay. Um, And it was great, because I could build, you know, I could... I had all this data, but I could build this cool environment for the students to learn. Right. Uh, Had a great time doing that, and then I got pulled into a multimedia company in New York City. Okay. uh, Which was a little more fast paced. They were doing lots of different projects for for different uh, companies. Okay. So I worked there for like three months, and it was actually kind of a mess. Like the people working there were great, but the company was was falling apart. Okay. Uh, and it was kind of blowing up, but it got me, uh, you know, really good at doing projects quickly. Okay. And uh, I actually went out on my own after about three or four months there. Okay. Um, there was a guy down the hall in that company who had a who had a space he was working out of, and he offered me a desk. And I just started freelancing, building um, basically one off multimedia things for companies. So, and I got some pretty high high profile uh, clients quickly. Like, I did a kiosk for the window of Pfizer's headquarters. Oh, wow. I did did a kiosk for an IBM uh, thing for the Olympics. They had a bus going around the country. Oh, wow. uh, Carrying the torch. So, I, I had a kiosk that was in that, like, an interactive thing that was in that bus. Sure.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, yeah, it was great. I was doing all kinds of, like, really neat stuff, and it was just quick and, you know, building these projects and trying to make them look as cool as possible. It was a lot of, like, corporate stuff, product launch stuff, presentation stuff. Uh, and in the middle of that, um, Mitch picked up and moved to San Francisco, okay. and I stayed in New York. Got you. And uh, so I spent another 20 years in New York. Um, but he had had enough in New York and moved out to San Francisco and started doing, um, building gaming for the casino industry.
0: Okay, interesting. And then
1: eventually and then eventually, Mitch got into digital signage. So they actually built, uh, he, he founded a company and they raised some VC money that did the big uh, Fresh Direct sign, the one that you see from yeah, the yeah. highway coming into New York. Yeah, his technology powered that. Design. Very cool. So um, he went, he and did that, and then uh, and then um, I stayed in New York, and I was doing these uh, sort of business one-off things. And then in, in like ninety five, I got hired by the Discovery Channel uh, through a design firm called Marcolina Design. They actually got the contract and hired me to do the the programming to build a sales tool for the Discovery Channel.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: So, so Discovery had, um, when you turn on the Discovery Channel, you see ads, right? Yep. So Discovery has a, a sales force that sells those ads to the advertisers. And what Discovery wanted was they wanted something, a presentation system that looked like television but was editable like PowerPoint. Got you. And they wanted to be able to build a giant library of all the different programs that were running on the network and then all the different demographic information about who was watching the programs.
0: Okay. And so
1: when they went to an advertiser, like if they were going to Procter and Gamble who wanted to sell Tide, they would pull all the soccer mom, relevant soccer mom info. Versus if they were going to Ford who wanted to sell Mustangs, they would pull entirely different info that would appeal to you know, men or young men or whatever it was. Got you. So it's, it's kind of a giant library of content, but it needs to be sliced and diced quickly by a salesperson walking into a meeting. And then they wanted marketing. So if you think about the way Discovery is set up, they have salespeople out selling these ads, but there's a marketing team supporting the sales people. Sure. And they wanted marketing to have the ability to retroactively update
0: the sales presentations. Oh, interesting. That so, makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> right. So
1: as numbers change, demographics change, ratings change, programs are new programs are created, programs are taken off the air, there's sort of a living, breathing library of content. And one of the big problems with PowerPoint at that time, and actually still, yeah, is if I'm a sales guy, I'm creating, you know, I'm spinning off presentations every time I go to a meeting, but those presentations are cut off from reality. Mm-hmm. So, so, marketing wanted the ability to, to go in retroactively and update that stuff. So the presentations would remain live and current
0: and accurate. Right. Okay. So, so no, go ahead. Sorry. Ahead.
1: No, go ahead. <clears throat> uh, uh, so we built a couple versions of that for Discovery. Okay. Uh and it really went well internally. And uh actually the guy who um who spearheaded that project inside Discovery was a young executive who ends up getting promoted and uh it was just like you know, it just went really well inside Discovery. Um and I looked at that and I was like, This is a product. Sure. Uh, that I can sell to other people. And I actually had, I talked about this at the Startup Expo conference. Um, that was actually one of my first big failures in business. Okay. Uh, I had a business partner I was working with who um, who helped put the proposal together and helped us sell the Sims Discovery and then just disappeared. So like I actually executed the project for Discovery. Got you. And then once once the project was successful, uh, the guy we had been working with, the executive in Discovery, got promoted, and they brought in some new guy. And I didn't really have a strong relationship with the new guy. Um, You know, and it's it's a lesson as an executive and as a salesperson. Like, you have to keep those relationships alive even when the people you're working with are moving around inside the organization. Sure. And then my business partner came back and Weaked out and decided he hated the new guy, and wrote this letter to his boss, the new guy's boss, about why the new guy wasn't a good choice. And the boss printed out the letter and left it on the printer, so the oh, dude no. found it. And it was like a mess. So they brought in another vendor and like pushed us out of discovery, and it was it was bad, right? It's one of those moments in business where you're like, holy crap, this was amazing, and now it's terrible.
0: <laughs> sure. Wow, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. So good, good teaching moment, right? Sure. Um,
0: but it it also
1: taught me that I couldn't have all my eggs in one basket, and I needed to have you know lots of different customers if I was really going to have a product, uh, a product company. Sure. And so so what happened was I went and started selling that into uh, other television networks. And actually, I went and got a new business partner. I, I fired the the one guy, I divorced the one guy, sure. and got a new guy who was a really good graphic designer. Okay. And sort of a hybrid product design business, because gotcha. a lot of these companies needed help because they needed content for the presentations. Right. And so part of what we were selling was this functionality, but part of what we were selling was your presentations are going to look like television, so someone needed to create that. And sometimes the company could do it themselves, but sometimes we needed to provide the design. Right. So I went and found an amazing designer, um, Angelon Cole, and he and I were partners for a few years. And uh, we just went and sold into everyone, you know, every other television network we could sell into. Uh, and I remember, you know, it's funny we were kids. I think I was, I think I started my first company around was 25, and uh, you know, we were like 27 maybe. Okay. So how did you go uh, about? And I remember
0: how did you go about reaching out to these other big kind of television networks?
1: You know, it's, it's the same as reaching out to anyone else. Um, you okay. you just got to try.
0: Okay. Uh, it,
1: it's easier now because we have LinkedIn. Sure. So, you know, my process now is I, I build my LinkedIn network as big as I can. Sure. So that lets me see into a lot of companies. I'm the same way. And then uh, if I want to get into a company, I can look up in that company and see who I know. Sure. I can target particular job titles. And then I can usually figure out their email address. Um, There's a site called mailtester.com that lets you construct an email address and then test it. So usually I can either get an intro or I can just figure out the email address and, and email the person directly. Got you. And if I'm offering something of value, I can, you know, I can often get a conversation started. Um, I may have to reach out to multiple people in the company, but I can usually get someone to at least listen to me and say yes or no.
0: I think that's really good advice, and, though, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and I, you know,
1: I learned early on not to be intimidated by the size of the company, uh, and I think that is important advice.
0: Yeah, that's really good <laughs> advice.
1: It's just as easy to reach out to someone in a company as it is to reach out to anyone else. You just have to be offering value. Makes sense. So if I'm showing up and saying, here's something that's working with Discovery that we built and we want to do the same thing for you, can we talk about it, I can at least usually get a a conversation or at least a yes or a no. Sure.
0: And they'll give you 20 minutes or a half hour or whatever, right, to at least explore that. Especially when you're telling them their competition's using this.
1: Yeah, exactly. That, that definitely draws some attention. Uh, and I can still usually get people to talk to me if I ask for advice. Uh,
0: you know, yeah, that's fair. sort of
1: the non-threatening way to say, look, I'm trying to break into this industry. Can I have 15 minutes of your time? Can you give me the, the lay of the land? Um, I can often get good. someone to talk to me that way, too.
0: That's good advice.
1: And the trick is to keep it short and interesting. Fair. Uh, you know, I'm sending three-sentence emails and trying to make it as punchy as possible. I'm not sending paragraphs of, you know, not making people read a lot or feel like they have to do a lot.
0: No, that that's really good advice. I find that, like, and I'm curious to know yourself, like, if I get an email, whether it's on LinkedIn or just in my inbox, and if it's paragraphs long, I maybe read the first sentence or two. And if I'm not interested, I yeah. just mark it as done. <laughs> and it's like, People are busy, right? And they're not trying yeah. to be mean or like a jerk about it. It's just they don't have time to spend 20 minutes reading your paragraph-long no. thing, right? It's just that's the reality. Right.
1: And I definitely don't want to get on the phone with someone who, who is a really long waiter because I just assume it's going to be a really long
0: conversation. Oh, interesting. I never thought of it like that. But, yeah, that, that actually does make a lot of sense.
1: And actually, I noticed it in the business community and in the investor community. Like, when you're emailing really successful investors, yeah, you know, they're emailing back one sentence or two sentences.
0: Okay, that's good advice. Um,
1: business people, you know, you get a few more sentences, but not many more.
0: Hmm. Okay, no, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, at what point was, like, what's the, like, how did, kind of tonic studios go to slide rocket that kind of how did that kind of come about like you you have a product now you're trying Mm -hmm. to get into other um networks kind of walk me through that whole thing
1: and we've got a design team that's part of our company okay uh and basically you know at that point because we were kids and because neither of us had been to business school uh you know in retrospect we were doing a good job with the customer. We were doing a reasonable job with the product. Okay. We had revenue coming in, but we didn't really understand financially how to run a company. Got you. So we were basically borrowing from future revenues to pay current employees, and we had no cash buffer. So we okay. were always you know just barely making payroll every month, which was fine as long as we were growing right uh but, but what happened was we hit uh, the slowdown in 2000 that simultaneously hit tech companies and hit advertising and our big market was advertising sure uh, so all of a sudden you know we just we ran out of money quickly so did you raise um, money
0: originally or, or how did you guys we fund we did not those?
1: raise we did we were self we were self-funded okay okay I didn't
0: I didn't understand anything about raising money at that point Okay, and so, okay, so the, uh, the the crash happened.
1: Right, and what I was trying to do was go to customers and get them to, you know, pay more, uh, essentially, to finance technology, you know, our technology development. And what I discovered was big companies don't want to do that for the most part. Okay. Um, you know, they don't, and things have changed a lot. This was in the 90s and early 2000s. Sure. So... You know, now it's a little bit easier to get a company to agree to that. But it's still, they're not in the business of taking risks on technology development. They're in the business of optimizing for revenue and uh, savings, cost savings. Right. So it's more like they want you to come to them with a finished solution. Got you.
0: Which is actually Um, really good advice, right? And Like, even now.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, And one of the nice things about what we were doing with sales presentations was even in a downturn, you could make the argument that we were helping sales. Sure. Uh, And even in a downturn, sales had budget because revenue was always important.
0: Right. Yeah, fair Um, enough, right?
1: Right. So if you can go in there and say, you know, we're going to make you money and or we're going to save you money,
0: people will listen to that. Sure. Especially in a recession.
1: Especially in a recession. Uh, that being said, we had one day where we had to lay off most of our staff, uh, and it was kind of a mess. And my business partner ended up leaving as part of that.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, that was a really tough time. And I, because we hadn't taken any money, I ended up massively in debt. Okay. Um, because I was using, you know, I was essentially using my own money and family money. So, you know, I had used up a bunch of my savings. I owed my family money and I owed bank money. And everything had kind of fallen apart. Wow. And I got, I got my dad to put in another bit of money. Okay. And we were about to relaunch. And then 9 11 happened. And we were actually pretty close to the trade center. So our office was shut down for a week. And, you know, commerce just kind of stopped again. Sure. Uh, so I don't know. It just got all bad for a, for a while. Um, and it didn't look like it was going to get better for a while, so the company got even smaller. Okay. Uh, and again, I don't, rec- I don't recommend running a business on no margin because you never know how bad it's going to get. <laughs> no, <that> makes <laughs> sense, yeah. Unfortunately, in that instance, things were, like, piling on top of each other, so, like, you couldn't catch a break for a few years.
0: Sure. Um, well, but I think that's also really good advice, right? Because... You basically right. stuck it out, and you were at it for a number of years. Oh yeah,
1: it, it took me fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, to get this idea of working the way I wanted to, and even then, you know, I, I'll get to this in a second. It didn't sure. end the way I had envisioned. Sure. Um,
0: okay. But, but so yeah, you recovered from nine eleven, basically.
1: Wait, or- right, which took a which took a while, and I. And I started being more flexible with the design because we still sometimes had to solve the design problem, but we, we got the product to a point where people could use it themselves and it was, it was pretty straightforward. Got you. And we could train them and they could build their own content. I did have uh, one designer in the company who did a bunch of our marketing stuff but could also do customer stuff. Okay. Um, and sometimes what we do is set the customer up with with templates. We couldn't really have um, canned templates because we were working with giant companies, right? So they wanted, you know, they wanted their own branding.
0: Yeah, which makes but sense. But we could build them customized templates that they could then use to generate content. I got you, based on their and branding then, guidelines. Based on their branding guidelines. Got you.
1: And then we also started partnering with. Uh, third-party design firms. So we had kind of a uh, uh, group of people who were vetted and knew our software that we could bring to the table. Okay. And some some of them would would bring customers to us.
0: So okay. we both had a
1: channel essentially through third-party design
0: firms. Interesting. That's actually really good advice, right? Like partner with people to bring you more clients.
1: Yeah, and it sort of works. Okay. Um, you know, every once in a while you find someone who gets really excited about it and does a bunch of work and, sure. and really brings you some value. But you really have to talk to a lot of people. Like most companies aren't that good at selling someone else's product. That's also good advice. Nor, <laughs> nor will they think for someone else's product if it's going to affect their ability to sell.
0: Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah.
1: Like if I if I can close the deal without you, and bringing you in makes it so that I might not be able to close the deal, I'm not going to talk about you anymore. Fair enough. So people wouldn't really fight for us, um, but every once in a while we find a partner who is really good and who would deliver who would deliver value. Okay. And we had a sort of a broader group of people who we could bring content to or clients to, and that mostly worked. Every once in a while they would mess up, and that would affect our relationship with the customer. So you know, sure. you just got to be you just got to be careful. Like anything else in business, you got to work with people you can trust. Gotcha. And it just it takes a little while to build that trust. Sure.
0: Okay. Uh, no, but we,
1: go ahead. We brought it back, you know. So we brought it back, and we were um, we were selling, and the company was like super lean because we had outsourced. You know, we had outsourced a lot of the uh, the design piece. I was doing a bunch of the development and the sales. I had some outsourced development as well. Okay. Overseas or or in
0: North America? Did you have your outsourced in North America? Okay,
1: in North America. Okay, Um, and we and we brought it back, and I started paying down the bunch of debt, and we started growing and signing up more customers. Uh, You know, it was really lean for a while. I remember at one point, um, I signed HBO as a client. Wow! And it was, and I was the only person in the office at that moment. Um, I told this story at Startup Xbo also. Yeah, I remember the story but remember for the like, listener. Yeah, so you know, I'm the only person there. Everything else is outsourced at that point. And uh, I saw this giant contract to HBO to like support their sales team. You know, they're out selling with this thing, so it's pretty vital to HBO. Sure. And like you know, I was making it work with this small team. And I just remember like standing up at the office and being like, This is awesome and there was no one really to to hear. But it was working. You know, like we were able to sign customers like that. Um, and I was able to do it with this outsourced team. And the whole thing was sort of coming back to life. The problem was the debt overhang was big enough that like we were paying down the debt, but I didn't have the money I needed to really move the business forward and move the technology forward. Got you. And uh, so at that moment um, I got back in contact with Mitch, the guy who I'd moved to New York with. Right. And his digital science thing uh, had kind of blown up. They'd done a Series E of venture. So he was still involved, but basically had no equity left in the company. Got you. uh, And was looking for the next thing. And they, I think it was actually an acquisition um, and he made a little bit of money, but nothing, you know, nothing major. Certainly not as a founder of the of the company. Sure. And so he was looking for the next thing, and uh, he and I started talking. And I was like, "Look, I've got these big customers, and I need to figure out the next version of this thing, which is going to be on the cloud." And this was 2006; so it was early days for the cloud. Right. And Mitch had been doing a bunch of development with Flash and with Flex, which was the yep. Flash development environment totally. that had come out. And he was like, "Look, we can we can build this thing in Flex." And I said, "Great, let's uh, let's partner up and do this."
0: Interesting. So we spent a few years
1: um, building this thing out, and uh, ended up with a pretty amazing product called
0: SlideRocket. Right.
1: And the original the original vision was to bring you know I had all these enterprise customers, and the original vision was to bring those enterprise customers over onto the slide Rocket platform. Got you. So I went around and talked to HBO and Sony and NBC and all these people I was working with. and they all sounded really excited about this about this new idea. Okay. And Mitch was an amazing programmer, and uh, he put a lot of hours into building software. And in 2009, I guess, yep. uh, we started going around to, to venture capital firms and got a firm called Hummer Winblad for a couple million bucks into the into the company. And we had a working uh, prototype at that point, and I had these customers who, you know, the poor Windblad got on the phone with, and HBO said, yep, we'll come over when this thing's working.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: So, you know, we had... We had a working product and we had customer validation. And I think those are the, the things that really made them invest. I think also Mitch had done such you know, Mitch was such a rock star with software that part of the investment was also like they were just impressed with him and with Side Rocket and felt like, Okay, you know, there's all the all the pieces we need here. Sure. And uh, so we got the money, started building the company in San Francisco. I was in New York. Um, which lived, still lives in San Francisco. I still lived in New York. You know, I was um, making keeping the existing customers happy using the the platform that I had, and then we started hiring in San Francisco, building out the platform, started to to bring customers on. Um, I started bringing customers in, for the, bigger customers into the beta. Uh, we got written up in TechCrunch. We had you know all kinds of interest. Um, we were getting like you know hundreds of sign-ups a day, oh, which wow. was great for me as a salesperson, because some of those were like corporate customers, so I had all kinds of warm leads coming in the door.
0: Sure, that's awesome.
1: We also had a ton of individuals, and um, a lot of schools, like a lot of educational institutions, because it was great for the classroom. Right. Um, and so it was like super exciting times, And uh, the only problem was that Mitch and I were fighting like cats and dogs.
0: Oh, that sucks.
1: Um, Yeah. Uh, And it ended up, I think part of the stress was, you know, my vision was really around enterprise. And I think his vision ended up being more around um, individuals and education. Okay. And I think, you know, I see this now. I think there's, there's two ways to, to grow a company. There's revenue, and then there's user growth. Right. Um, and if you're lucky, you can do both of them together. Sure. And a lot of times you'll see a company focus on one or the other. Okay. Uh, so Facebook is kind of the poster boy of user growth over revenue. Um, but I tend to think more in terms of revenue. So for me, I want a working company that can survive on its own, sure. especially after watching my company blow up and being in debt yep that's fair <laughs> uh, but it's totally valid to go after user growth and not worry about revenue as much as long as you have enough user growth that it's interesting to investors because you're gonna you know you need you need cash from somewhere sure right uh, and I think that was really kind of the stress in the company like I was thinking enterprise Mitch wanted to go after user growth I was bringing these big companies in the door uh, and they were unhappy because they weren't getting, you know, what they needed in order to, to move, you know, we're talking about like HBO sales team. So it's gotta be, you know, they need a bunch of attention to really feel comfortable moving their sales team onto a platform. So like everyone was unhappy. Um, And after uh, a little over a year, we were coming down to the last of our investment. We weren't making enough money to survive on our own, so we needed to do another round. Um, so I helped with the raise, and uh, Slide Rocket ended up raising another five million bucks. Okay. But it was a down round. Um, and so at that point, um, Mitch had more shares than I did, uh, and he basically called me one day and was like, you know, you're fired right before the the down round. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, it's funny. You ever watch that movie, The Social Network?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Facebook thing? Yeah, like on the, on the Eduardo Severin of this uh, Rocket story, except got I, you. I didn't end up making $4 billion and moving to Singapore. <laughs> uh, but basically, I got crushed in the down rounds. Okay. Um, and that is one thing. Like I was going into this not really understanding the lay of the land, you know, how that stuff really works. Uh, whereas everyone else understood it, you know, Mitch understood it because he'd been through it and the venture capital firm understood it because they do it all the time. Sure. Uh, and I didn't really understand the ramifications. Um, but it was also kind of a relief to get out of that situation.
0: Okay. Because it was really
1: just, you know, it was really just rewinding on me. It was just a fight every day, um, and lots of uncomfortable conversations. Sure. Uh, so it was definitely a relief to get out of that situation. Um, and they did, you know, to Mitch's credit, they raised uh, another five million bucks and ended up. They brought in a CEO from Salesforce. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and they ended up selling the company to uh, VMware, a publicly traded company, within a year and a half. Oh. So, wow. You know, it was it was actually a really good outcome. Sure. For the company,
0: yeah, Um,
1: and I still had some teeth, so you know, still it it made a meaningful difference in my life, just not at the scale I was originally hoping for. Sure. Uh, And it was actually kind of a shame because I guess at the end of the day, VMware didn't know what to do with the product and ended up selling it to to a competitor, Uh, and it's still around, but the competitor has never really done anything with it, which, is, which is a shame because it was a pretty amazing product. Um, it's still the best presentation platform that I've worked with. Sure. And I've worked with a lot of them. Interesting. Uh, but again, on the lessons learned, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It was, I would definitely do things differently uh, the next time around. Right. Um I learned a lot about working with other people. I learned a lot about managing a cap table. Um, I learned a lot about making sure that you know that the relationships with the investors are good. Um, but it was also, again, it was relief, and it worked out. And it, it worked out in a way that ended up being okay for everyone.
0: Sure. Okay. Um, so. If I remember correctly, you, you took some time off after after this whole thing happened, or, or when did you take some time off?
1: Okay. So, I took I took a couple months off, because, okay. like, emotionally, I was just beat up. You know? Sure.
0: Sure. I can imagine.
1: Uh, but then, after a few months, I got pretty bored, and okay. uh, I called up a former competitor and went in and met with them. There was a company out of New York that had been my competition before Slide Rocket. Okay. Um... And they had a very similar view about uh, being enterprise focused.
0: Okay.
1: And I still had I still had these customers hanging around. I sold HBO. I sold Sony. I sold NBC. And like I still didn't know what to do with them because Rocket wasn't going to help them. Right. So I went to these guys and said, "Look, let me come in. Let me consult with you. Let me bring these. You know, let me try to bring these customers into your platform." These guys wanted to move to the cloud. So I was like, "Look, I can, you know, I can tell you, um, you know, how I might go about doing that based on my experience." And it actually turned into a pretty good working relationship uh, for four years. Um, wow. with a company called Custom Custom Show, okay. still based in New York, still with a with a really uh, good online uh, presentation platform, okay, and enterprise focused. And that that was actually great for a long time. Um, and I worked with them. I was never a full-time employee. I was kind of a consultant. Sure. Um, but I helped them with a bunch of sales. I helped them with product development. You know, at some point uh, during my career, I switched from being a developer into being more of a manager and a sales and marketing guy. Got you. But I still knew a lot about software development. So, you know, um, I was I was good at helping to manage product, projects and just... Um, Trying to help the technology along, but I was, I was also really good at the, the sales piece and some of the marketing stuff. Sure. Um, you know, I'm just really good at talking to people at the big companies, just as I've been doing it for my entire career.
0: Sure. No, that's awesome. So, um, no, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. So, I did that for a while. And we actually tried to raise money for that company. Um, we built out the cloud-based platform. We tried to raise money. Uh, and I think with that company, you know, it was actually a – that company had been around for 50 years doing presentations. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, they, you know, they used to do, like, actual slides. They did poster boards. Like, they would build big – Poster boards for presentations, and then they got into slides, and then they got into PowerPoint, and then they were like, "We're going to build our own platform." And then they started moving it to the cloud over the course of fifty years. Wow! And so I think for that company, it was really hard to make the transition to being a venture-backed company. Sure. You know, I think I think for venture, you really you really need to be willing to grow quickly, fair, and you really need to be looking for an exit. Got you. Um, and I think they were not really prepared to do those things. Got you. Uh, and at some point, you know, I figured out that I wasn't going to be able to add a lot more value there. And uh, I actually, you know, this is where I took the time off. Okay. Where I've been a music, I've been a music guy my entire life. Sure. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe I hit my midlife crisis. I was forty-two at the time. Okay. But uh, I was doing more and more music stuff. Um, You know, I played the guitar for years. i was in a band. I was DJing around the city. I was starting to build out a home recording studio and do some music production. Sure. And, uh, you know, I was realizing that this company was not going to grow the way I wanted it to grow. And so at 42, I said, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. Uh, I could take some time off, focus on music, and no one's going to care. And this may be the last... Time in my life that I can do this. Sure. Um, so I planned for you know a while, save some money. Um, I had some money from the Slide Rocket thing, and uh, said, "Okay, gave my notice and took uh, two years off to do music."
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: It was amazing. Uh, it was really an amazing opportunity, um, and you know, I was living in New York, I was building out a home recording studio, I was working with rappers and with singers. Sure. Creating songs. Other music guys. Like it was it was really cool. And I think, you know, my entire life I've been sort of torn between music and tech. Gotcha. And great. I'd never really focused on the music thing. Sure. Um, so it was fun doing that for a couple of years. And of course two months after I leave my job and start doing music full time, I meet this amazing Girl, okay. Uh, who's who's a banker? Um, so she's like a responsible adult. Uh, <laughs> but she and I got along great, and she put up with me while I was uh, essentially jobless for two years. Sure. And we started dating. Okay. And after a year, she got this opportunity to come down to Miami for her job.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: And uh, neither of us had ever thought about moving to Miami, but we came down and checked it out, and we were both like. This actually seems kind of cool.
0: Have you ever, either of you I've ever been, in, been to Miami before Before this?
1: Yeah, we had both okay, done a okay. little
0: bit of hanging out in Miami, but okay.
1: really only in South Beach, like never in the city of Miami. Got you. Okay. So part of what we did, we came down twice and just drove around and hung out and just kind of tried to get the lay of the land, and we both really liked the feel of it. Sure. And I think after 20 years in New York, like, I was ready to make a switch. Got you. And uh, – So came down here, it turns out we love it, Uh, was here for about eight months, and then went to a tech conference here called Emerge. Okay, yeah. um, That happens here on South Beach, uh, right down the street from where I live. And it was actually way more crowded and way more interesting than I thought it would be. I hadn't really connected with the tech scene in Miami, I was trying to do the music thing. Right. But actually really got excited about the type scene. Like there was a lot going on in the startup world. And I had been doing a little bit of consulting. Um, so I've been working with a successful Kickstarter company called Kideo that makes this uh, cat device that you sure. can well, interact with your cat from your iPhone while you're not there. You can feed your cat. There's a laser pointer you can run around. It's, it's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. And so it's helped yeah, it was great. I was helping them. I'd help them with their pitch deck and their financial model and talking to investors. Um, and so when I went to the, the Emerge conference, I ended up meeting a recruiter there. And I said, you know, I'm looking to consult with companies. I'm not looking for a full-time gig. And she said, well, we only do full-time gigs. But then sure enough, a couple of weeks later, called me up and said, look, I might have a consulting gig for you. So I got hooked up at the startup. Uh, up in Aventura with a founder who wanted to help people connect with their passions. It was trying to build a, a software platform, social network around that. Okay. And so that got me started in Miami, um, consulting in Miami, working with startups. And again, it was around sort of product development, customer validation, um, financing, fundraising. And I just started to connect with the tech scene down here, um, started going around to events, trying to meet as many people as possible. And Miami's great. Like, it's so easy to talk to people down here and meet people. And there's a ton of cool people doing great stuff. Uh, And so for the past year, I've just sort of built on on that. um, Which, you know, now I've been consulting with a few different startups down here. And then I started mentoring Venture Hive. So I met um, Susan Amat, who, who runs Venture Hive, uh, right before she had a class of uh, cohort of ten companies coming into to the accelerator there, sure. And uh, she was like, "Do you want to do you want to mentor these ten startups for twelve weeks?" And I said, "Yes." Um, That's
0: awesome.
1: So I started splitting my time between the consulting and the mentoring, and it's just it's just been great. Like I love meeting entrepreneurs. I love talking to different people. I love having a window into all these different companies. Like, I learn a lot, but I also have a ton of experience that I've been through a lot, Sure. and I've seen a lot. So, you know, I can help with operations, I can help with fundraising, I can help with strategy, I can help with sales, I can help with marketing, because I've done all that stuff. Sure. Um, and it's been a really nice blend between the teaching and the consulting. Like, I like that. Um, I like that combination. Right, and I'm still not sure what I actually want to do. Um, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't really intending to build a consulting company, but I sort of have, uh, and I've got you know some decent clients now, and I'm starting to bring in other consultants to partner with me on stuff. Um, and it's you know there's a lot of people to work with down here. Uh, I don't know, and I'm really, I'm really enjoying it.
0: I think that's awesome. Um,
1: you kind of yeah, like fell into it, it, right? Yeah, I kind of like fell into it. And uh, I don't know, I also feel like that the music stuff, you know, I, I did music pretty much full time for, for two, two and a half years. And then I got really sucked back into the tech world to the extent that I've been doing, you know, for the past six months maybe, I've just been doing the tech full time and not as much music. Sure. And I actually feel okay about that for the first time In my entire life, I'm like, I'm okay doing just the one thing. So that's kind of a relief.
0: That's interesting.
1: It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really the outcome I was expecting. I was expecting the music thing to really, you know, become my next career. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot longer for me to become a successful musician who can pay the bills with music. That I'm really willing to suffer through. Sure. It sort of feels like the architecture thing did to me. Where it's just like a lot of years of hard work and not a lot of reward, sure um, but the fact that I can put the music down for a minute and just focus on one thing has actually been incredibly relaxing
0: no that's that's actually really that's really interesting, and it's really like it's almost like good advice without kind of being advice. you know what I mean, yeah. So I'm curious um, then, do you think you'll ever do another startup? Have you thought about it or, or that's not even really on your radar?
1: Yeah, I think about it all the time. Okay. Um, and I get tempted a lot. You know, I hear some ideas sound really good. Some people are great and I really want to work with them. Sure. And I'm always open to that and I'm always going around and talking to new people. Uh, and the consulting business doesn't really scale. Uh, you know, I've kind of fit. My wall in terms of the number of hours I'm willing to work. Got you. And in and in how much I'm able to charge a startup
0: because sure. I like
1: sort of the early stage startups who don't necessarily have tons of money sitting around. Sure. So I don't I don't want to raise my price you know and price myself out of those uh, early stage companies. Got you. Uh, but I think about this a lot. Um, so what I'm actually trying to do and where this is where the 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 articles I'm posting on LinkedIn uh, come in is how can I broaden the scope of people I'm, I'm reaching, you sure. know, uh, and, and is there a way to help more people and maybe drive some revenue that's not uh, time-based? Sure. So, and I learn a lot. You know, I'm talking to companies all the time. Uh, I'm talking to a lot of different founders who are solving a lot of different problems. And I have a bunch of experience that I can bring into the conversation. So I'm trying to get that information out into the world and maybe see if there's a way to to build a layer of self-directed content that companies can benefit from um, that, again, isn't my consulting time. You know, some of it free, some of it maybe paid. I haven't really figured that out yet. Sure. Uh, And then add my consulting time as a layer on top of that.
0: Got you. No, Um, that,
1: that makes a lot of sense. So that's that's my current vision and that's that's what I'm working on now sure. um, which mostly has resulted in me writing a lot of free articles uh, I'm not trying to charge anyone anything right now I'm just trying to figure out you know what my voice is and what really connects
0: with entrepreneurs sure it makes a lot of sense I like and you've been on a a pretty awesome journey yeah it's, it seems so much right sure <laughs> no it's awesome I like that's that's really why I wanted. Um, you know, to have you on the show is because you know I, I kind of wanted you to basically tell your your entire journey and you know, I was hoping we could maybe dive in a little bit more into kind of what you're doing currently and you know your articles and whatnot. And I think um, we're we're kind of coming to the end of the show but I, but I think it would be awesome to maybe have you on again um, in the future and we kind of dive a little bit deeper into you know, kind of what you're talking about, give more advice and, and whatnot, almost do like a part two of this because I think there's so much more that we could cover and there's so much more value that you could really add to the listener, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I would love that. That would be great.
0: Sure. So, and that's
1: sort of what I'm trying to get at with the with the articles I'm posting is get into that like practical day-to-day, you know, what can you actually do to help grow your business better or more quickly or
0: smarter sure no that makes a lot of sense but but Mike we are kind of running out of time so maybe let's close the show with mentioning where where people can find um yourself online um any where people can get more information about uh Venture Hive and um your consulting uh company Tonic Studios and where they can check out the articles that you're writing
1: yeah, no problem. Um, so my name is Mike Lingle. It's L I N G L E, like single with an L.
0: And I'll post these uh, in the show notes. To...
1: Okay. So the URL for that is just mikelingle.com. Perfect. Uh, and that that connects you to, you can find all the articles from there. I'm on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find on LinkedIn as well. Uh, you, know, you can just look for Mike Lingle Slide Rocket or Venture Hive. Um, VentureHive is at VentureHive.com, so you can find them there, and they're a terrific Miami um, accelerator and incubator, so companies are in that space, working out of that space, they have a terrific education and mentoring program.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: So, I'm easy to find, they're easy to find. I'm in Miami, it's it's fun to meet up in person here. And uh, I'm actually getting married next week, so I'll be out of pocket for a few weeks, but starting sort of the beginning of July, I'm back and ready for action.
0: Sure. No, no, that's awesome, Mike. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time under your busy day to be on the show. Um, I really do think that we should put together a second episode where we kind of dive a little bit deeper into advice and kind of some of the stuff you cover in your articles, because I think it would be really valuable to, you know, the listener and the and and whatnot and i would love to have you back on the show
1: great thanks so much kevin i really appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh look forward to talking further
0: perfect man well uh have fun uh on with the wedding and the honeymoon and i look forward to uh connecting with you uh once you're back and kind of back to uh reality i guess right
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be an amazing few weeks and then i'll be back at my desk sure sure (laughs) sounds
0: good man all right well uh with a ring on my finger yeah that's awesome man (laughs) congrats again and uh we'll talk soon thanks so much talk to you soon okay bye thanks for listening the music for the show is done by electric mantra you can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them for the future